Well, welcome back, everyone. B&B FC. I'm Brett. That's Brian. Today we're going to be looking at uh, really just the Arsenal Crystal Palace game over the weekend. We're going to talk about some dumb pundit things that happen on Sky Sports. And uh, then we're going to look to the previews, Man United versus Wolves and Arsenal versus Forest. And then we have, at the end of the video, we got some stoppage time. Uh, keep, in, keep tuned in to uh, later next week because we got a bit of a break uh, between some of the games. We got, I think the FA Cup is back on. We're going to be uh, having an episode about, you know, some spicy topics, you know, back to the old BNBFC where, you know, we do a little bit different, go into a little bit of a debate. Not too much because Brian doesn't like the debates as much, but we'll have some fun stuff for you guys. Now, if we go to the Arsenal Crystal Palace game, uh, Brian didn't get a chance to watch it. He went to visit his family over the weekend. And uh, yeah, the scoreline was 5 0. What, out of somebody that didn't watch the game, how would you predict that scoreline? Like, how, how would you think the game went? Well, it, you know, 2 3, maybe you can say that it was a competitive game. It's hard to say when any team ever scores five that. It's a competitive game whatsoever. So looked like it was. Martinelli got a couple really late goals the way it looked like in that game. So it might have been somewhat close up until like the 75th minute or something like that. Didn't really look at the stats either. I'm a bad podcast yeah. host. Well, I no, have no idea what happened. No, the only reason I'm asking that is because the scoreline would suggest that Arsenal, because um, they had a couple goals in the first half, um, the scoreline would suggest that Arsenal like dominated, com had complete control. Maybe it just took them a long time to break down at points or whatever. But really, I watched that game and I just felt like Crystal Palace was so awful. Like Arsenal took their chances, and that's something that we don't see from Arsenal very often. Is you know we get a lot of chances, but we don't put them in the back of the net. So it was encouraging that we did put our chances in the back of the net. But I do think this was more of a story of Crystal Palace being worse than Arsenal being absolutely unbelievable. Uh, just to bring into, you know, because we have to shine light on positivity and stuff like that, just as much as we harp on some of the negatives. But, oh, we, uh, David Rea, you know, he's been in the limelight a lot about, you know, is he good enough to take over Ramsdale's spot? Is he getting protection from um, Arteta? And one of the things about it is, I think if Arsenal was finishing their chances this year, you know, there'd be less criticism of David Rea. However, he has missed a lot of chances, but he was directly responsible for a goal yesterday. There was a lot of pressure on Arsenal. David Rea scooped up a corner, uh, corner ball right out of the air and immediately threw it up the pitch to Jesus. And it was off to the races. It was Jesus one touch pass to, um, Trossard, Trossard, bang in the back of the net, all from play, caught everybody out from Crystal Palace. So very accurate throw, by the way. Very, very good. Um, another stat coming in to shine some positivity on a player that's been surrounded by negativity a lot is, you know, we talk about the finishing of Gabriel Jesus, and rightfully so, but Gabriel Jesus, outside of um, penalties, so the XG for non-penalty goals, non-penalty chances, Jesus has the highest XG. So he's causing chaos. He's, you know, causing chances and things like that. And, you know, Nicholas you... Jackson has a really good XG too. 
But here's the thing is, and I'll use this against you. Brian often talks about when you look at XG is if you have a XG and you're not scoring goals, that's a good sign that eventually those goals will come because you're, you're heading in that trajectory. So depends really on, because it doesn't take into account whether it's prime Cristiano Ronaldo taking that or prime Timo Werner. Like it's basically yeah. like an average player taking a shot from this position is this many yeah. X to G. So on the whole, assuming you're a better than average finisher, you should have a more goals than XG or if you're worse yeah. average, whatever. One of the things that I find interesting, and I don't know if Arteta is going to change this around, but I find Arsenal just from watching as a fan, I find Arsenal is better when you see Jesus and Martinelli switch. Um, not that I would want Gabriel and or Gabri- uh, Martinelli to actually start a striker, but it is interesting that I find Jesus causes a lot more trouble. You know what it reminds me of is you have a Martinelli lately has been a has been a a winger that's kind of he seems he seems less creative right now. He kind of was beating people one two ways. Not he's not one dimensional like Anthony, but like he wasn't beating people as as much as he was last season. I don't know if he lost a step with some nagging injuries or whatever, but Jesus has that almost. Alexis Sanchez type of dribbling style where he's really good and tight with people around him. So you can see that he kind of drags a lot more pressure and then also he gets around, creates a lot more chances. So I wonder if Arteta is going to play around with that more. You'll see a lot more switching happening on the wings and see what happens. I always thought it might be an interesting team kind of selection. It's all... Normally, like if you have, say, Havertz, Odegaard, and Rice, is your, it really is that inverted triangle. You've got two camps, but almost more like a 4 2 4, like a Jorginho Rice double pivot, but four kind of people where we have no idea what position they're playing yeah. in the front, whether that's Havertz in a more advanced role, and then a Trossard, Martinelli, Saka, something like that, not having the defined striker. I'd like to be curious to kind of see yeah. what that would look like for Arsenal. And uh, Martinelli's been because Odegaard has not been great this year, unless he played well. Well, he's like here's the thing: is I he's been I, okay. But I find not. last year he was like a um, a revelation as far as like he was like one of the best players in the league, and I find he's playing good. I just don't think he's playing. He's not taking chances like he did last year. He's still providing a lot of, but it, it seems like more of a rather than Odegaard not being as good. I I find it seems more about the play. It doesn't seem like it seems a lot of the time Odegaard's instructed by Arteta to kind of play it to the wingers early rather than those last final through balls that you see Odegaard last year. Cause it seems like a lot of the time it's like, give it to Saka early and then have Saka go one-on-one. So um, I don't know if that's, he's definitely not as good as he was last year, but we'll see what happens. It's still kind of tinkering with some things, but uh, the other thing that was kind of interesting about the game is they didn't have Martinelli on set pieces anymore from the corner. They actually had Declan Rice take the corner, um, and they've had like um, some other defensive-minded uh, people taking corners. And it seemed to be a lot like you know how Declan Rice has um, he can he's known for a bit of pa- kind of like you know what it'd be like if Man United got Harry Maguire to take the corner. 
right? Like I know he's big, but like he's known for his really long passes and stuff. Like he's got a good foot, yeah. right? One so, foot. so it's like they, they got Declan Rice to take the corner. And it seemed a lot better. Like Gabrielle scored two goals. Well, one one I think was an own goal, but it I still think it kind of should have been a goal for him, counted for Gabrielle. But um yeah, I liked what they what I saw, but it wasn't as much of a dominant performance as people think. One thing about it though, Brian Gab Martinelli's two goals is it's one of those things that if you are a left wing, you need to perfect this, but it was two goals where He's he's kind of not alone with the keeper, but he's on the on the left side, and he kind of just hits the ball, not with a lot of pace, but it's kind of like that um, straight shot to the far post that like the keeper stretched out can just barely, and it kind of just curls in or whatever. So he hit both of those goals the same way. So it looks like he's been he's been practicing that shot again. So hopefully he can get more. Yeah. Crystal Palace, though, they're terrible. Anyways, let's keep going. Speaking of terrible, I think it was Carragher. Um, I should fact let's, check let's this. Fact check. You, you start, you you start you providing the context yeah. and I'll look. I think, it's, I think it was Carragher, but um, they were talking about Diego Jota anyways, and uh, they were saying that Diego Jota is the best finisher in Liverpool's history. And I don't know if it's yeah. just a recent fact check is confirmed. It's Carragher? Yeah, what a dummy. I just like you think about the 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 players, like me and Brian were talking about this off camera a little bit. You think about the players that have run through Liverpool and you think Jota's a better finisher. I know finishing is like one aspect of it, but um and I'll let you say it because it's your thing. I don't want to take what you what No, you but heard, I don't but... think I don't think it's a I don't think it's a 200 IQ thing to say what I what I said about this. Like, yeah, I think so, it's obvious. Well, then what did you say? Well, I think Jota, and this isn't what I said, but I'm just yeah, going to, yeah. for the sake of the punditry, that I think Jota is a good player. I think he's a tricky player. I think he's you know, a really good header of the ball relative to, to his size. I think I think he's very useful. I don't even think when you think of his top character traits or for me as a footballer, it's probably not finishing. Or not maybe finishing. I know finishing can be a broad term and how you apply it in terms of, oh, he's good with his head, that makes him, and he can score. Like some people think you're a good finisher, like if you're moderately good with your head and with both yeah. feet and stuff like that. But there's three that come to mind in Liverpool's history that there's no doubt I think are better finishers. Michael Owen, Fernando Torres, and, of course, Luis Suarez. I don't like the guy, but the Suarez is in the discussion for me as the best, one of the best finishers of all time. Thank God. Not a best striker of all time. I have to I throw the caveat in there because I don't like the guy because he likes to, you know, fall down and then peak when he's hurt, and then when he gets the card, he gets... I get yeah, card, but you like that. other players that do that. Yeah. You got a vendetta against one of my my boys. You know, it's just if he was on my... It's the same thing with Oh, you. I know. It's just uh, Sergio. Actually, you like Ramos too, I think. Yeah, but right. I, I hate when he was when it was ever El Clasico. He was yeah. enemy number one. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, it's just it's just stupidity. It seems like and Carragher as a defender should know what finishing looks like. Like oh. like as far as the most old goals I think in Premier League history is I think it's Jamie Carragher. I forgot about that, but no, it's I just, gotta fact check that. But it, it's just one of those things that you go. I can't believe somebody like is saying that like it's so outda- audacious to just say 
you know, he's the best, like, it's such a recency bias, you know, especially with Luis no, Suarez. No, he's second. He's second. Oh, he's sorry. got seven on goals. <laughs> but anyways, the, the, one of the things about it that's kind of interesting is just like, he just slags off Suarez, Torres, and Owen, you know, and it, and it's just, I don't know. You, you have to, you know, we talk all the time. But I don't even think Jonah's the best finisher there right now. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I, like, yeah. I think Saul is probably better finding the back of the net than. Yeah. But Jonah I just is. find we we talk about all the time where we say sometimes these older pundits are too like their era bias, where they're like, oh, there's nobody like you know the guys I played against and stuff because they played against them. But I also think that this is just going the other direction and just too far and saying, oh, this is like saying, oh, this is a modern player, so. He's just automatically better. Like Suarez, like I'm sorry, but it just he Suarez is in uh, Miami now with Messi, and there's a couple a of games. Reunion, there's a couple. Uh, of, Jordi, is Jordi Alba? Yeah, and Busquets. Oh, but there is a thing where Messi hit this over the top pass. Literally the you know the, the Barcelona dynasty yeah. beer team. <laughs> but here's the thing: there's just moments where you see because it's old players, so they're not they're not a hundred percent world class all the time. But there is a moment where technically there's oh, yeah. like, no. you don't lose the technical ability. So like a couple of days ago there was a game and Messi hit a ball over the top. This was a missed chance, but he just he just hit a little ball, dinked it basically over the top of the defense, and you just saw Suarez with his sneaky little self and he volleyed it. And it just went it missed the net by this much just because of how it was spinning. But it's just you've seen that all the time with Barca, where it's like a messy, sneaky ball. To how did Suarez get in there? Because you talk about this all the time when you're talking about poachers. Suarez, like you know, is one of those guys that you go, "How the hell did he make it through that that line or whatever?" But uh, well, I as far as a poacher goes, I think Suarez is the best. Yeah, not that no poaching is one aspect of finishing, but you just take he, that one aspect. I yeah, think it's yeah. So I I just think that's beautiful, but. It just once again, Sky Sports, and it's nothing against Sky Sports, but you have a lot of people that are um, unbiased or try to be unbiased and tell the news and all that. But it's one of the problems. It's one of the best things to have old players to be pundits because you like to hear the stories and stuff like that. But there's lots of players and stuff that think, oh, just journalist people should, shouldn't be pundits. Like there's a lot of slot. Um, What's it called? There's a lot of banter against people like, you know, Gab and Jules, and I'm not defending Gab at all, but it's it's just one of those things where Mark Ogden, when people kind of go, well, they never played the game, so what do they know? But I just find some of these older pundits that have played the game, like there's just such a clear biasness to it. And it's not just because I'm an Arsenal fan. Like Ian Wright's just as biased when he does punditry. So I don't know. It, you have to have that balance because that's just a stupid take. No, but I don't. Where's the bias? I don't get like unless unless you know Jamie Carragher has. Well, he said other a, things. I I went off a, a little topic. Of Diego Showtime is bedroom or something. Yeah, but like. he always talks about like the like he's like Jurgen Klopp's number one defender last year too, and like and it's like yeah, it's paid off. But there is like no criticism of the way that Klopp ran things last year, and it's like. Can he, can he, is he a, still a great manager? Yes. Has he done things wrong? Yes. That, that season he did things wrong. So you can't, you can't avoid that. So, but like Gary Neville's probably the worst in my opinion for biasness. Like he, it's just ridiculous. Like, and, and th th this is bias from my perspective, 
But like the guy will not say a nice thing about Arsenal. He just refused. Not nor that I think he should because he's just he comes from that era, right? But like it's just one of those things. If you're in that position, like he is so utter. And Roy Keane, he's I love Roy Keane's punditry, but it also is like he is just like modern players are babies, you know. And it and it's just one of those things where, yeah, yeah. You have to have that balance. It's good to have both, but you got to have that balance. Anything to add on that? No, I, I think in some cases the old players. There's some are. I, I think Craig Burley is the like he. You would know. <laughs> no, you wouldn't know who he played for. Yeah. So maybe he just had no passion for the clubs he played for. Didn't give a shit or whatever. But so like in some ways, because I think sure he talked like, but I think Mark Ogden. Like, as far as the new trial, I think he's, you know, from the new, he's a little bit pro-United, I think. But some of the kind of non-players can be what they kind of lack maybe in the football knowledge. Um, They might be a little less biased because there's a a different level when you have played for a club versus supporting a club. You know, there's, here's the difference where, and I've illustrated it beautifully with Mark Ogden, is there's a difference between Mark Ogden and Gary Neville in the way that you can kind of tell that Mark Ogden likes United, but you can't tell who he doesn't like. Whereas Gary Neville, you know he likes United and you know he viscerally hates Arsenal in in, in some ways. Um, it's just like, you know, Thierry Henry, like, and I love this about Thierry Henry, but it's like whenever he has punditry on, on Tottenham or whatever, like it's just, it's like he went to an award ceremony or whatever and uh, he was holding an award presenting it. And the other person that was supposed to present it with him was standing off to the side. And he just went, you're a Tottenham fan, aren't you? And she goes, yeah. And he goes, well, come hold it with me. It's probably the closest you'll get to one. Like, it, it, like I love that. But also, it's not like, you know, if you want unbiased punditry, you're, you shouldn't go to somebody like Thierry Henry because he's not saying anything nice about Tottenham. Yeah, Really, yeah. if you want it, like, because, you know, like, you know, referees... Design a conflict yeah. of interest for her. Like, if you probably want the best punditry, you probably got to get guys that aren't connected. Yeah. To the clubs that are you're talking about to get the. No, absolutely. But 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 you have to, as long as you recognize as a viewer that they are biased, like use your critical yeah. thinking skills and whatever the whole. Just when people don't think. Yeah. And just. But even like I just think pundits in general should like even if they can't stand a team, I still think because you're getting paid to do the job. Like if I was in their position. I could still find a way to talk about the good things Tottenham have done. And I can't stand them. You know, I would be all, if they were struggling, oof, I would cover that every day. You would know that I would want to cover that. But I, if there was still some success to talk about, I would have to talk about it. But speaking of, uh, you know, talking about some games and stuff like that, let's get on to the uh, preview for the weekend. You got Wolves versus Man United. Surely this is a Man U win. I don't think so. And why not? Wolves have won, I think. Three out of the last five, and they've scored goals. Like they've scored, they've scored four goals a couple games ago. They scored three goals. I remember, like this was a team that their striker didn't score for like two years. Whoever <laughs> started as their number nine, something I don't know, maybe that's an exaggeration, but I think it was a long time. So if Wolves look like they can find a way to get on the score sheet, I have no faith whatsoever in United to get a win. Other than it looks, uh, other than like, is it like it, the only time I think United are going to win? I look at the calendar. Okay, looking at the past results, would Ten Hag is there a chance he loses his job if they lose? Then I know they're going <laughs> to win. But I don't think he's there yet. After the game, last game was that draw at Spurs, they draw at Old Trafford against Spurs. 
So I don't think he'd lose his job necessarily. So I'm going to say they lose. I think it's a draw, to be honest. Like, I think United should win this game, but I think they'll... I could see, yeah, I could see this being a draw. I think it's going to be a boring game. Like, so boring. It's not a game that I'm looking forward to. Um, but yeah, I don't... Like, Ten Hag is... You know what this feels like? It feels like Ole again. Where it feels like there's such just a stale period of like, yeah, you sometimes get results, sometimes you don't, and it's just a nothingness. No identity in the club. I've said this over and over again. But um, the next game we're looking at is Arsenal-Nottingham Forest, and this could be a banana peel. I don't know what it is, but I just... Arsenal need this win. Like, you, we need to string some wins together because we were, we were winless in seven games. You know, mind you, it only was winless in three that were... Uh, what's it called? In the Premier League. But I think it was like in seven games in all cup competitions and all that were um, not so great. So we had a good performance, decent performance against Crystal Palace, but it needs to be elevated. And I think players like Martinelli need to start kicking on about this part of the season. Um, And Forrest, I don't know, they're in some hot water with FFP and all that. So they're not looking like they're the strongest side. This form has been... So, like, for relative, maybe a little stronger than what they should be, I think, because I think they had, what, two wins in a draw maybe in the last five? Yeah, but So, like, don't... for a relegation-threatened team, like, that's not bad form, but it still is. You still can't treat yeah. it as... They also don't have the new manager bounce anymore, so... I don't think Arsenal will have too hard of a time picking up three points and taking them back to North London. Yeah, I, I have to say this, sorry. I, I got to jump in here because I almost forgot about it. Have you seen Jaden Sancho? Absolutely cooking oh, in the Bundesliga. Su- I know he's got an assist in the first. Oh game. my god! He he tracked down a long ball, and he did the Rabona first touch trap. Caught it there, turned and ran, and I went. And you guys wouldn't play him over Anthony. And I know he usually like he plays on the right, doesn't he? Yeah. And you we like I don't get Ten Hag. Yeah, I, like just... I don't understand. You need performances. I'm so mad about this. And you keep with Anthony, the alleged domestic abuser, just like the alleged domestic abuser Gr- Greenwood, and you send him out on loan. And then you put you put Anthony back into the first team. And Sancho said that you lied, so you sent him away. Like, it's just so stupid. Well, it's, it's really it's sad because... I look at you, Greenwood comes back to the club, Sancho. That could be England's front three. Oh, yes. Playing for Manchester And have United you, have you seen Greenwood, too, his finishing? I it's know. unbelievable. It was always good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a joke. Like, this guy, Brian, I could do a whole episode on Ted Hague. Like, this guy is willing to get fired just so that Sancho um, doesn't play and Anthony gets a spot. Like, Anthony should put Ten Hag in the wheel. Because, no, like, realistically, like, this guy is, is still employed. Like, look at the people like like Mendy and all these guys that have to stop playing football because they've got accused of things. And this guy missed one game. One game, and he's back in the first team. It's not like somebody else got a chance. Is it like, well, obviously it's a stubbornness, but is it a, is it a stubbornness? Is, it, is, it, is this more about Anthony or more about Jaden San- Sancho, do you think, from Ten Hag? 
I know it's both. Oh, I think. But where is it? I don't know anymore because because it's you know. I thought it was Sancho. You want to defend your? You obviously he's put eighty million into this guy. You want to see it? You want to try and get something out of it? Yeah, but but mind you, you spent eighty million on Sancho too. But Ken Hag didn't spend eight. That's the difference. But here's the thing, though. It's like I thought, you know, maybe it's because Sancho's bad attitude. You got to be strong with those attitudes. Like I understand that, but it it seems like there is no way back into the side. And and I thought, okay, yeah, you know, maybe it's not Anthony, it's Sancho's. But then you had the alleged domestic abuse case, and we saw how Man United handled that before. You know, you got uh, Greenwood to take a leave of absence and stuff like that. Like the guy missed one week, Brian, and he was back not not in the side on the bench. Not watching a game, on the on the team sheet, probably the first like you I wanted think, to say it there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. But we do. I do want to get into some stoppage yeah, time okay. here. And the one thing I do want to mention, I didn't have it on our little template here. Do you see United sign Manchester City's director of football? <laughs> so this is this is a guy that worked with Pep Guardiola at both Barcelona and yeah. the Manchester City. So. And on paper, this guy has a resume of the players he's he's brought in, but one I don't think one guy's enough to fix things, but it might help. God, it sounds like sounds like the director of football at um, Manchester City is getting a new job real quick. Yeah, well, we got 110 <laughs> charges. See ya. Yeah, but okay. So I want to ask you this. So I'm jumping in here because this is your boy here. Okay, uh, Mister. Uh, Jose, the specialist. The special one. The yeah, the special, special one. one. Yeah, the, the specialist in failure. Uh, I was going to say the specialist in winning, <laughs> but uh, no, the uh, the uh, the special one, self-proclaimed special one, has been cammed by Roma. Where does he go from here? Well, not Saudi Arabia, which is where it's looking like. <laughs> really, at club level, there's not a lot left for him. I think with a certain national team, you know, the kind of nature of national team management, you know, it's, it's a lot of one-off games, shorter tournaments, you know, it's, it's harder to alienate your players in three weeks so, <laughs> than it is in over a couple of years. So um, I think there's opportunities there. I think it would be interesting to see, like, because obviously he's got his pragmatic style of play, if it's kind of like adding to what's already good in like an Italy side or kind of trying to bring the pragmatism and kind of balance out a team like, you know, a Brazil or skilled team like that. So. You know what I would love? It would be wonderful. But I just hope Ronaldo's not in the team for this, but it would be so wonderful if Jose went to Portugal and they won the next World Cup. God dang. That would be so beautiful. But where does, like, a, a hypothetical, if uh, Jose adds a World Cup, where does that, where does that change anything? No. Like, does he, is he belong kind of in a conversation with a Ancelotti or a, oh, yes. a I, I still a, I, with the World Cup? I still think he's in the – like, I, I still – I put – personally for me, like, I think Fergie and Ancelotti are the best. And um, I don't think even with the World Cup, um, Mourinho would be in the same caliber. But I just think that he's already in the most elite managers – it's just, does he make third place his own with that? Yeah, I would say he would make third place his own. Um, but yeah, we got to get moving on here, Brian. Ask me the next question because I'll tell you what it is. Well, I think I would agree with you. It's been really quiet. 
transfer windows on, nothing's happening, or, or is everyone scared shitless? FFP, uh, man, FFP. they are terrified. <laughs> Their accountants are running wild with balancing the books. And like, I'm telling you, it's a, but mind you, mind you, most of the uh, transfer window from last season being that inflated was because of Chelsea spending. But like, still, like, people are like, there's some charges incoming. And I still want to know the date for this stupid city one. That's going to be outside the court. Oh, I'm telling you bullshit but uh so yeah it's it's probably ffp did byron lose this title is this javi alonso and granite jack is time to ruin harry kane's I, day you know it, it looks just about like it i think that's i think it's seven points byron has a game in hand so if they won that four javi alonso looks like a looks like a team that's really gonna push them we saw dortmund push them right to the end last year and harry kane Goes to a place where you think the title's inevitable, and now all of a sudden it's not. The paper's already putting the curse of Harry Kane and stuff like that. It's hilarious. But let's get on with the last part of this uh, question. You know, who wins AFCON? Just one one word, just the team name. I'll say say Morocco. Strong World Cup. No. It's... uh, Gonna I be, say that with the caveat of literally not watching any Afghan. Yeah, so I haven't so. watched any either, but I think it's going to be my Nigeria this year. I think Sen- Senegal has fallen back, and I think Egypt's going to struggle without Salah. So, um, in the in the big moments right near the end, so I'm going to go with Nigeria. And uh, that's going to be it for this episode. We will see you in the next one.